Bringing in the first fruits. Well, I learned the practice of tithing from my parents, but it was my dad who introduced this practice into our family. Dad and mom began giving 10% of their income to the Lord after my dad returned to work following his heart surgery. And this is back in the mid-1960s. But they decided to test the Lord for a full year, not for a week or a month. And they tested the Lord and he proved himself faithful. I asked my mom about this. And she said, and we never stop giving to the Lord. Well, this is the one promise that the Lord in Scripture, where God challenges us to test him in a certain area. It's about our giving. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Let's go ahead and look at Exodus 22. I've titled this chapter, First Fruits. And it has 31 verses, and I chose verse 29 as the key verse that says, You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce or your juices, the firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. So offering our first fruits to God. We're going to look at this according to the Jewish law. God gave to Moses while he was there on Mount Sinai for those 40 days and 40 nights. But before we get to offering the first fruits, Moses is given laws of restitution in verses 1 through 6. We read, If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he shall restore five ox for the ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun has risen on him, and there shall be guilt for his bloodshed, he should make full restitution. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for a thief. So if the sun has risen on him in the sense that he did not die, he still had to make restitution. It could cost him his life as far as being sold as a slave. If the thief, verse 4, is certainly found alive in his hands, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall restore it double. So if they steal animals and that animal is still with him, he has to restore it double. If a man causes 
a field or vineyard to be grazed and lets loose an animal and it feeds on another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that stacked grain, standing grain, or a field is consumed, he who kindled the fire shall make restitution. So laws of restitution and various different things. As Moses continues to lay out these laws for Israel, he deals with a variety of trespasses and their judgments from stealing their neighbor's livestock to breaking and entering, allowing your animals to graze on another man's field or destroying a vineyard by fire. Well, these were all trespasses and they were to be held accountable and they had to make restitution. Perhaps Zacchaeus had these laws in mind when he exclaimed to Jesus, Look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore it fourfold. Luke 19.8 And so, obviously, when confronted with Jesus, Zacchaeus understood he had done wrong against other people. And once he came to Jesus, he knew he had to set things right. Where did he understand that? Where did he learn that from? Well, from the laws that are found here in the book of Exodus. He also had laws concerning watching over someone else's stuff, property loss, or hiring in verses 7 through 15. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 first. If a man delivers to his neighbor money or articles to keep, and it is stolen out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's good. So Moses here in this section deals with liabilities of loss, whether occurring by watching your neighbor's stuff, verses 7 or 8, by property loss, verses 9 through 13, borrowing or hiring out your services, verses 14 through 15, whether dealing with money or animals, whatever these goods might be, if something happened to your neighbor's stuff while in your care, depending on the circumstances, the borrower could be held liable if no guilty person could be found. Once again, these cases were to be brought before the judges. It tells us that in verses 8 and 9. In Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 20, it says, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Oh, how we need just justices today in our land. And there are some, no doubt, but there are many who are not. But whether a judge or just an average person 
whether you borrowed someone's stuff or you're the one that loaned the person, the children of Israel, we as the children of God, as Christians today, were always to do what is right before the eyes of God and before others. We learn in the Bible that to have a right relationship with God, we must also have right relationships with our brothers and sisters. And it was such an important point that when Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, we know it today as the Lord's Prayer, he said this in Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then he goes on to say, makes commentary actually on this. I'm going to go ahead and just go over to Matthew and, and read it from the text itself. Matthew chapter 6. I want to make sure I get this right. Matthew chapter 6. So in verse 12, he says, And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then the end of the prayer is found in verse 13 where it says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then Jesus makes commentary only on this one point of the Lord's Prayer. In verses 14 and 15, he says, Therefore, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the importance to have a right relationship with God, we must also strive to have right relationships with others. So as we continue in Exodus 22, we pick up now in verses 16 through 24, where there's laws concerning premarital sex, sorcery, strangers, widows, and the fatherless. So in 16 and 17, it says, If a man entices a virgin... Who is not betrothed, he lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride's price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. So the variety of trespasses, their judgments continues with laws concerning here, as I said, premarital sex, sorcery, bestiality, worshiping idols oppressing strangers, afflicting widows, or the fatherless, those who trespassed in these areas, they were to be held accountable. Of a virgin losing her virginity to a man who is not her husband, Moses would later explain, saying in Deuteronomy 22, verses 28 and 29, If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her, and they are found out, then the man who lays with her shall give to the young woman's father fifty shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he has humbled her, and he shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. That's pretty incredible, huh? That would cause a lot of young men to think twice before having premarital sex. And they would make sure that the relationship that they had with the young woman would be out of love and not out of lust. In verse 18, regarding sorcery, Moses would later write in Leviticus 20, 27, a man or a woman who is a medium, 
who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them to commit sorcery and the blood of the sorcerer, the person who is a medium, who had familiar spirits. That was on them. Though they died, it was on them because they went against the law of God. Concerning bestiality in verse 19, this was committed by the current inhabitants. They were going to inherit the promised land. The inhabitants in the promised land, the Canaanites, they committed these things. And God said in Leviticus 18.24, Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. This is some of the reason God was casting them out for the things that they were doing. In verse 20, we have the crime of idolatry, the worship of other gods, and that was a death penalty. During the revival in the 15th year of King Asa, they entered into a covenant with the Lord their God to seek the Lord their God of their fathers with all their heart, with all their souls, and whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Second Chronicles 15, 12 through 14. That's quite a, a big revival there. But I want us to concentrate a little bit here on strangers, widows, and the fatherless in verses 21 through 24, reading from Exodus 22. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. God's saying, don't forget where you guys came from. Verse 22, you shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. So we find in scripture and it's pretty common throughout all scripture that God has a very soft place for strangers, widows, and the fatherless. God would especially be attentive to the cries of the widows and the fatherless, personally judging their abusers. James mentions the importance of ministering to widows and orphans. In the New Testament, James 1, 27, he says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their troubles, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Clearly, God set a high standard for his people and expects us to walk in these standards. Again, some of these laws specifically for the children of Israel in the Old Testament times, but some of these things like caring for widows, the issue of premarital sex, which is horrible in our country today, these things do and can apply to us. Then we close out in verses 25 through 31, required to be holy. I just kind of named this section, required to be holy, Exodus 22, 25 through 31. And we read in verses 25 through 27, If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like the money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest 
If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that he cries out to me, and I will hear, for I am gracious. So the chapter closes with laws concerning money lending, blaspheming against God, cursing one's ruler. And Moses also taught about tithing and not allowing themselves to be defiled by eating torn animals. At all times, every situation, they were to be holy to the Lord. Verse 31. You shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it out to the dogs. I threw the word out in there. But they were to live holy lives unto the Lord. Thus they were not to charge interest to their own nation, the people of their own nation. And they were to return a cloak in the evening. If it was given as collateral, they couldn't keep it through the night. It was needed by that person as a covering for the evening. They were never to curse God, nor their rulers. Romans 13.1 Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no such authority except from God, and these authorities that exist are appointed by God. So as Christians, we need to be careful of how we conduct ourselves in these areas. In my lifetime, there's been... Republican presidents, and we've had Democratic presidents. We need to be respectful, and we may disagree with policies or conduct. And in our country, it's a little different. We are governed by we the people, and we have an opportunity to vote people in and out of office. But in the process of that, we need to be respectful for those who lead us. And sometimes that's very hard to do. 29 and 30 says, Do not delay to offer the first fruit of your ripe produce or your juices. The firstborn of your sons shall be given to me. Likewise, you shall do with the oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days, and on the eighth day you shall give it to me. Bringing in the first fruits. Well, I learned the practice of tithing from my parents, but it was my dad who introduced this practice into our family. Dad and mom began giving 10% of their income to the Lord after my dad returned to work following his heart surgery. And this is back in the mid 1960s. And they had maybe given to the church prior to that. My dad didn't come to faith until he was 28, and he was, I think, 35 years old. I was a young boy then, so the dates are a little cloudy because I was seven or eight years old when this took place. But coming back from heart surgery, he had to have a less strenuous job, and it came with a big cut in pay, about 25% of his income. Not that they made a lot of money in the 60s, but he went from making $100 to about $75 a week. Think about that today. And it was at this time that Dad told my mom, I believe God is calling us to start tithing. And so Mom said, 
There's no way. She couldn't see how they were going to make it. They already lost a quarter of their income, add another 10% on that, now a third of the income. But they decided to test the Lord for a full year, not for a week or a month or half a year, for a year. And they tested the Lord and he proved himself faithful. I asked my mom about this. And she said, and we never stop giving to the Lord. Well, this is the one promise that the Lord in Scripture, where God challenges us to test him in a certain area, it's about our giving. In Malachi 3.10, it says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this now, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up for you windows of heaven, pour out for you such blessings that there will not be room enough to receive it. And it's not that my parents were very wealthy people, but God provided for them through their labors, and they lived a good life here on this earth. Although I knew that dad and mom practiced tithing, I did not start tithing until my dad questioned me about it when I was 17 years old. At that point, I think I'd been working at a local grocery store for about a year. And my dad asked me if I'd been tithing on my income. And I admitted to him that I had not. I may have given some money, but I, I wasn't tithing. And I knew he was upset at me. And I don't know what else he said to me at that time. All I know is that I began giving to the Lord of this income 10% of what I made, earned, I gave to the Lord. It's something that Lily and I carried into our marriage. And again, for Lily and I, we've done this our whole married life. I'm so glad that Dad got a hold of me when I was single because this is a practice that we have had in our marriage and God has blessed us. And we are not wealthy or rich, but we have been provided for. And the Word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So let me just encourage you in first fruits that we give unto the Lord that which he has given to us, the provisions that he has brought to us. And be challenged in this, knowing that God challenges us in Malachi, saying that, test me in this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. God promises a blessing if we're willing to trust him with the funds that we have and to support the ministries that we are involved in and I would challenge you to consider that if you've not been tithing. Maybe you're like me when I was 17 years old, and now I'm challenging you like my dad challenged me. Well, pray about that. And don't do it, oh, Pastor John said I had to do this, so now i got to do it. No, purpose it in your heart. Pray about it. My dad, he died young. So when I was asking about tithing, I asked her specifically, when did you start tithing? My mom is the one that shared this story with me. All I knew is that they tithed. I didn't know how they started. 
And she said, we tested the Lord for a year and we never stopped. It just became their, their worship, their continual habit. It's what they did. And dad getting a hold of me at 17, he allowed me to bring that into our marriage. And it's what Lily and I do. And I challenge you in that. Bring the first fruits. As the Lord leads you, so do. Father, thank you for your word and for these things that you have taught us here tonight. And we pray, Lord, that you would just help us to, in these laws going through the book of Exodus, some of these things apply rightly to the current circumstances of our life. Others, Lord, they were specifically written for the children of Israel in the times that they lived in. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to look through your word, to learn from it, to grow from it, that we might know how we ought to walk and to please God. May we love you, Lord Jesus, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. And let